The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, if you could find in your Bibles this morning Luke chapter 10, Luke's Gospel, right near the beginning of the New Testament, chapter 10, and the, the very end of chapter 10. The holiday season in America. <laughs> That's a conversation topic, isn't it? Uh, this is my observation. So uh, take it for what it's worth. I'm not telling you this is a 100% fact, but I, I could be wrong. I'm not, but I could be. Uh, the holiday season in America has become easily one of the busiest times of the year. And as soon as Halloween passes... Many families transition into full holiday mode by decorating their homes, decorating their yards, preparing for November, December. And I find it interesting, though, just in my observation, it would appear that, that Thanksgiving is almost more of an oversight because everybody's just shooting toward Christmas, right? You know, I, I have a, there's a, a young lady who was actually in the youth group that I was volunteering to help out 15, 20 years ago. And she's now married, they're expecting their first child, and honestly, I, I believe she would start decorating her house for Christmas in July, if it would not be looked that odd. She just loves Christmas. And that's great, because uh, in, in considering the true meaning of Christmas, I mean, it might be okay that the observance and celebration of Christmas, uh, you know, if, if our observance and our celebration of Christmas truly emphasized Jesus and his incarnation. You know, then I'd be like, okay, well, that's cool. Let's celebrate that because that's something to celebrate. But I don't think that's the case. Here's what I mean. And I pray that you'll maybe be able to identify with this to some degree. Christmas in American culture is hardly recognizable as the commemoration of the birth of Christ. And, and understand what I just said. I'm not talking about in my house, and I'm probably not talking about your house. I'm talking about American culture. Christmas in American culture is hardly recognizable as the commemoration of the birth of Christ. It seems to be much more about decorations and gifts and parties and food. In fact, you only need to look at this particular statistic to know that what I'm saying has some truth to it. Look at the difference between the number of devoted Christians in America and the number of people who celebrate Christmas. Are those two numbers the same? Not even close. This glaring difference in these two figures gives us a clear indication that a growing number of people in America celebrate Christmas only because... It is a culturally accepted, almost expected practice. Here's your unpopular opinion for the day. Ready? If you don't follow Jesus, you have no reason to celebrate Christmas. And just let that settle in for a second. If we're not going to follow Jesus, we really shouldn't bother putting up a tree we shouldn't bother celebrating Advent. We shouldn't bother giving gifts. We shouldn't bother celebrating Christmas. 
if we're not going to celebrate Jesus. Now, having said that and having got everybody's you know, mind churning a little bit, and uh, I, I just want to use that as a backdrop to what we're going to talk about today. Because in Luke's Gospel, let me give you a little context before... Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm going to read this passage. It's very short. It's only five verses. Let me read these five verses and then give a little context and background for where we are in Luke's Gospel. And then we'll talk about what this text says to us and teaches us today. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Here's what the Bible says. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with much service. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray now that you would speak very clearly to our hearts for the glory of Christ. Amen. Now, some context to what we just read. This short little paragraph comes on the heels of Jesus having an interaction with a lawyer. Uh, and all due respect to any attorneys, um, that's usually not a good conversation. Okay, uh, So this lawyer comes up to Jesus, and the Bible says back in Luke 10, 25, to test him. Okay, So you can already see the motivation. The, the motive behind this question is not honest uh, information gathering. This is... I'm trying to catch you in something. I'm trying to put you to a test to see if I can trip you up. Okay? So that was the motive behind this question from the lawyer. He's approached. He wants to ask this question and, and say, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? Okay, that was the question. So then Jesus turns it around to the lawyer and says, well, what does the law say? Talking Law, uh, capital L, Moses the book of Moses, the first five books of the law. What does the law say? And the, the lawyer answers, and he gives a, a pretty good response because he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, very good. Now go do that. <laughs> right? Don't just give me the right answer. I've, all right, here's personal application. Don't just show me you've been to Sunday school What's your life look like? So the lawyer is not satisfied. It's not enough. So then the Bible says in Luke 10, 29, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, asks a follow-up question. Jesus, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who exactly is my neighbor? Now, you can tell the, the motivation behind that question, right? Well, I don't want to just love everybody. <laughs> that would be too much. You know, I just want, I need to pick and choose who I want to love, right? Who I want to be kind to. 
So Jesus then, this prompts him, gives him the opportunity to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, which comes immediately before our passage. So if you recall the story, I'll just tell you briefly. The man is walking, traveling, he falls into the hands of robbers, and he's, he's robbed, he's beaten, he's laying there wounded. Three different people pass by. One is a priest, one is a Levite, who's also a priest, and one is a Samaritan. Samaritan has some cultural boundaries, right? So the priest and the Levite both cross the street to get farther away from the poor man, and they walk on by and don't help. The third, the Samaritan, is the one who you would not expect to be of any service in this culture, right? Because they don't get along. And yet the Samaritan is the one who stops and tends to the man and gives first aid, then puts him on his own uh, donkey and takes him to the next village, puts him up in a, in a motel, so to speak, and pays for it and tells the innkeeper, take care of this man, and if the money I'm giving you now, which by the way, the Bible says two denarii, which is equal to two days pay, like for, for work. So two days worth of, of salary he gave to the man and said, if this isn't enough to pay for what this man needs, I'll pay you the rest when I get back. Now that's pretty substantial, right? That, that's extreme care and compassion and love. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, so which one of these three do you suppose proved proved to be the man's neighbor? And the lawyer said, well, I guess it's the one who showed compassion. And then Jesus said again in verse 37, now go do that. In other words, that's who your neighbor is. It's everybody. It's everybody. So love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love people. That's as, that's as specific as it needs to be. Love people with no boundary, with no selection. Right? Love people. So that sets us up to read this account of Jesus traveling because uh, the lawyer, as you saw in that previous parable, wanted to be selective in his application of mercy and kindness, but that's not the way. Because here's an important principle that's learned in that story and in what we see in our passage today. Eternal life is inherited. It's not earned. It's not something we can do good enough to receive. That brings us to this account. Jesus is welcomed into the home of Martha and Mary in the village of Bethany. Now, this text doesn't tell us it's in Bethany, but we find that out in John's Gospel. Mary and Martha, who had a pretty well-known brother, Lazarus. Okay, so that's who we're talking about. So let's look at the text and see what it tells us and what it teaches us about how we are to live our lives following Jesus. First of all, there's two sisters... Then there's two choices, and then there's one priority. So if you like to take notes, that's our our kind of outline for today. Two sisters, then two choices, and one priority. First of all, the two sisters. 
Now, the Bible says in verse 38 that Jesus is traveling and he enters a village, very nondescript, right? Doesn't tell you where he's going, doesn't tell you where he was, tells you he's going to a village, but doesn't tell you the name of it, which is interesting because Luke is a doctor and so he's usually very detailed, but not in this case. So that's not the important thing. The important thing is where's he going? He comes up on a woman named Martha, and Martha welcomed him into her home. So, what do we learn from that first little verse? Martha appears to be the older sister, because it's her house. Okay, so it says, Martha welcomed him into her home. Right, so we can kind of surmise that that's probably her house, he's probably the older sister. But then we see that her sister's name is Mary, and as is the case with most siblings... Martha and Mary are nothing alike, right? There's three daughters in our home. They both have the same home. They both have the same parents. They both have the same upbringing. And yet they are vastly different. I could not overemphasize that. They are very, very different in almost every way. So Mar Martha and Mary... Not the same, but you know everybody has different gifts. Everybody has different passion, skills, and abilities. So those are the two sisters. So that sets the stage for what's to come. Now, I said two sisters. Now we have two choices. Now look in verse 40, I'm sorry, 39. Verse 39 tells us what Mary is doing. Mary is seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. So if she's seated at the Lord's feet, what is she not doing? She's not helping with anything going on in the house. She's seated at the Lord's feet listening to His Word. Right? Well, we don't need to go much farther until verse 40 and we see Martha's got a problem with that. So Martha has chosen differently and the Bible says that Martha was distracted. Okay? Distracted. Now, the New American Standard, which I read from, and, I, and when you saw it on the screen, if you noticed... I read the literal translation, not what was on the screen, because what it says here in, the, in my Bible is, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Literally, the word says, much service. Okay? So she was distracted with much service. Leon Morris calls it, uh, let me read this so I get it right. He calls it unnecessarily elaborate provision. So here's what that looks like. You know, so, so, and, and please understand, there's no judgment here. None whatsoever. Okay, I'm just reading and explaining. Okay, just reading and explaining. Elaborate provision. Here, here's what that means. Some people have a gift for being able to make things just unbelievably nice and um, elegant extravagant almost. And, and it, it probably comes easy to them because that's a gift they have. Uh, not everybody has that gift. I don't have that gift. Okay? To me, you know, you, you see, all right, here's an example. Uh, you could, like, somebody said, all right, somebody could tell me and then somebody could tell one of my daughters, hey, can you set the table? Like, all right. So here's, if I set the table, I'm going to have some paper plates, a paper towel ripped in half, 
maybe folded, and maybe like a plastic fork, and a solo cup. All right? I set the table. We got everything we need. All right? You ask one of my daughters, and I told you they're different. In this, they're not different. Uh, you ask one of my daughters to set the table, you're going to have a real plate, you're going to have real silverware, you're going to have a napkin, not a paper towel, you're going to have a real glass, and it's it probably going to be in some sort of order. Right? Now, we both set the table, but I just, to me, it's like, what's the big deal? Right? Okay, I'm, 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 a, I'm a guy, okay, I get that. I'm looking for practical application, not so much presentation. Okay, I get that. But what I'm trying to tell you is there were some differences going on here between Martha and Mary, and Martha was elaborate. She was busy. She was distracted with much service. And maybe rightly so, right? Who's in her home? Jesus. So, hey, we're using the... We using the china that we hadn't unwrapped since we got married plates today, right? We using the silverware that's been used six times in 25 years today, right? That's what I'm saying. Jesus is here. So pull out all the stops, right? So now here's the problem in the two choices. Martha is distracted. She's trying to make everything just right. Mary, meanwhile, is seated on the floor at the Lord's feet, listening to His Word. Now, if you isolate those two things, is either one of those bad? Of course not. And that's not really the question here. Here's the question. Look how Martha responds to the whole situation. Martha, in verse 40 came up to Jesus. Now, we just got through saying she wants everything to be just right before Jesus is in her house. And then she says to him, now, now this is easy to miss, all right? I missed it until this week. Martha got a problem with Jesus. Look at the text. Look what she says to him. Don't you care? Are you not paying attention here, Jesus? Like, he doesn't know everything. Don't you care that she's left me to do all this by myself? So she, she's got a problem with Jesus. Then she's got a problem with her sister Mary. Because she says to Jesus, don't you care? And then she says about Mary, she's left me here to serve and do all this all by myself. And then she's got the solution. Tell her to help me. So, you remember the, the old saying... I'm not bossy, I just know what you need to be doing. Right? So Martha's got it all figured out. Because in her little world, and, and isn't this the case? Regardless of what it is, when we're passionate about something, it is the most important thing in the world. But, that doesn't mean it's the most important thing in the world to everybody else in the world. Right? We all have preferences. We all have priorities that are in our world the most important thing there is. And listen, listen very carefully. 
We can't for the life of us understand why everybody else doesn't find this one thing as important as we do. Right? But here's a little news flash. We are not all the same. Are we created equally? Absolutely. But are we the same? No. There is no cookie cutter. We all are unique. So Martha is upset. She's distracted. She's got a problem with Jesus. She has a problem with her sister. And her solution is for Jesus to take some control and instruct her sister. Because you know how it is. Parents, you can tell your kids what to do and how to do it a thousand times and they will not hear it. But if one of their friends or someone that's their peer says the exact same thing, all of a sudden it's the best thing they've ever heard. Right? So Martha says, well, Jesus, if you tell her to help, if I tell her to help, nothing's going to happen. If you tell her to help, we'll get somewhere. So that's what's happening in verse 40. Now, the best part of this passage really comes with the final portion, the one priority. And so when you see how Jesus responds to the situation, I think that'll clear up some things for us. Because when we get to verse 41, it says, But, contrast, the Lord answered and said to her, to Martha. Now he responds with care and compassion. He doesn't respond uh, you know, argumentatively. He, he's very caring. He says, Martha, Martha. He uses her name twice as a way to communicate to her. He cares. It's almost like a, a, a calming influence, right? Martha, Martha. Now, now, what does he say about her situation? My Bible says she is worried Verse 41, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Now, I really wanted to uh, see more clearly what those two words mean in verse 41. So I did some research. And the, the first word there, the, the Greek definition for that word that's used there is to have an anxious concern, maybe based on a, a possible misfortune or danger, to be worried about, to be anxious about. So when Jesus says you're worried, He's talking about some anxiety. It's, it's, it's getting her all up in her emotions because she's not liking what she's seeing and she doesn't know what to do about it or how to fix it. The second word, worried and bothered, the second word in Greek uh, is defined as to be emotionally upset by a concern or an anxiety, to be troubled or to be distressed, or to be upset. So that's what Martha's feeling. She's got some anxiety going, she's troubled, she's distressed, she's worried. She's, she's just uh, emotionally moved by this situation. And she doesn't know what to do other than to tell Jesus, handle this for me. John Cassian, who actually lived in the 4th century, one of our earliest church fathers, uh, being, uh, you know, close to this, these events. He said this, he said, to cling always to God and to the things of God. This must be our major effort. This must be the road that the heart follows unswervingly. Any diversion, however impressive, 
must be regarded as secondary, low-grade, and certainly dangerous. You see, Martha had a priority of serving and having everything just right for her guest. Mary had a priority of her guest, but it was different. It was more passive. It was almost active versus passive. So Jesus tells Martha in verse 42... You're worried, you're bothered, you're anxious, you're upset, you're troubled, you're distressed about many things, much service. But, verse 42, one thing is necessary. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Necessary. You know what that means? Let's apply that to uh, our lives. Every day, there's all kind of different things we could do. Right? Did you know each one of us has the exact same amount of time every day and every week? Right? There's 24 hours in a day. There's 168 hours in a week. Every week. There's 365 days in a year. Okay, somebody's going to say, yeah, what about leap year? Okay, I got you. 365 days in a year. Okay, we all have the same amount of time. And we have the responsibility of trying to be stewards of that time, managers of our time, so that we use it wisely and we, we use it well. So there's plenty of things we could do, but there are far less things that we must do. Right? You see the difference? Jesus says, you're bothered about a lot of stuff. There's only one thing in this situation, one thing that is necessary. Necessary means this is not something that we just could do. This is something that we must do. Maybe we should do. So Jesus is trying to draw a comparison here for what activity is going on in the house. You know, can I sit in a chair and look at my phone and scroll through emails and scroll through text messages and scroll through social media feeds and... Yeah, I can do that. Should I do that? Not for very long. Because you know what that does? I heard a preacher say one time, the biggest benefit of social media is to prove to us that our lack of prayer was not because we didn't have enough time. Ouch. Right. So there's things we could do, there's things we should do, and there's things we must do do. So Jesus tries to draw this comparison for Martha saying one thing is necessary and he actually points out to her sister Mary has chosen the good part and at the end of verse 42 it will not be taken away from her. Leon Morris says it this way. Life has few real necessities and we can do without much on which we spend a lot of time. It is the attitude of dependence on Jesus that truly matters. So when we look at this text in its entirety and understand what's happening, you have two sisters, you have two choices, but you have one priority. Now, does that mean that what Martha was doing was not important? Well, of course not. Of course not. It was important. Was it as important as listening to the word of Jesus? Probably not. And I would say 
Definitely not, since Jesus himself said one thing is necessary. So what's our conclusion, our application? I couldn't resist the, uh, the stereotypical dad joke sermon title for today. What kind of Christmas are we going to have? What's our priority? When we're coming into this season, we talked about at the beginning the, the American culture and the way the American culture appears to celebrate this time of year. What's our priority? Are we Martha? Are we distracted? Are we busy? Do we have to have everything just right? Or are we married? Are we content to sit at the feet of Jesus? Just take it in. Just listen to His Word. Now does that mean it has to be all or nothing? Of course not. Things have to be done. I, I get that. But I, I believe Jesus points a, 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 an arrow toward a priority of, yes, there are things to do. There are always things to do. But there's a time when the necessary thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Listen to what He says. When we celebrate this time of year, what are we concentrating on? Are we concentrating on Christ? It's, kind of, it's, in, that, it's in the Word, right? Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's right there. What's our priority? Let me close today with a quote from Michael Wilcock, who wrote a, a very nice commentary on this passage. The way of Jesus is one of devotion and dedication, both in following Him and in heralding Him. But the way is not, on that account, a matter of assiduous religion and frenzied service of busyness and incessant good works it means not achievement, but commitment. Not activities, but attitudes. Not quantity, but quality. All the striving after spiritual achievement must die. All the supposition that eternal life is obtained and God is pleased by our much doing. When Jesus expects us to follow Him all the way, He means not a frenzy of religious activity undertaken in our own strength, but the total abandonment of ourselves to Him. For Him to work in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So this Christmas, this week, my prayer is that we don't get so distracted and so worried and bothered and busy about things happening that we forget to take some time just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen just to be in His presence just to hear that calming word Martha, Martha 
you're worried and bothered about so many things. Just sit at my feet. Just listen. Just be with me. Enjoy my presence. Celebrate the goodness of God at Christmas. It's so much more than what the culture would have us believe it is. It's not parties and food and decorations and who gets the best gift. Best I can remember, the best gift has already been given. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.